0: the decades, to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics as well as the biggest news stories and news makers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware.
1: Happy New Year. It's our first show of 2023. Hope you had an absolutely wonderful holiday and hope you enjoyed our 2022 year-end review shows over the last couple of weeks so much to get into today uh, especially beginning 2023 and i i, I mean i got to say i mean it, the biggest story obviously of the week demar hamlin and and what happened to demar hamlin in the bills And Bengals game. I mean, I was I'll tell you when Thursday came around and we got the news that uh, he he asked one of the first things he asked uh, when he when he kind of was coming around is who won the football game. I mean, what phenomenal news that he was able to squeeze the hands of the doctors and family members. I mean, it was just wonderful because. I'm going to tell you what, Tuesday, it it just did not look good at all on Tuesday. Very, very grim. Wednesday, a little bit different because we got to start to, we started to receive the reports that um, he, he was, you know, more oxygen was getting to his lungs and those kinds of things. And so, I mean, thank God, right? Like, I didn't see the football game. I've only seen the hit um, once, one time. I didn't see the hit because... Happen to wake up. I don't know. It's about three o'clock on Tuesday morning, and you know, turn the TV on, and um, that's what was being talked about. And they, and thankfully, okay, thankfully they never replayed the actual hit because of. I mean, and if you look at the hit, it, it, it. I mean, I'm not gonna say it was routine, but you know, it, 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 it wasn't one of those hits that you see that. When the guys come and lower the helmets and it's a violent hit, it wasn't one of those kind of hits. And and so when I was watching the news and uh, the, the reports and everything, I immediately got out of bed and fell to my knees and prayed for this young man and prayed for his family. I mean, think about what his parents must have been going uh, through. That, again, cardiac arrest, okay, Uh, They had to administer CPR. That's not something you see often when you're talking about professional sports, specifically football, and even more specifically in the National Football League. We talk about a number of different things, but rarely do we talk about CPR or cardiac arrest. It's mostly, you know, a lot of times it can be uh, season-ending or even sometimes career-ending injuries. This was something very, very different. And so, uh, you know, we all, you know, it's one of those moments where and it will be looking for when you when as we move forward and he continues to get better. I think that's that's the most important thing is that he continues to get better and we continue to get positive news is that people came together for this young man, okay, he's only 20, think about that, he's only 24 years old, okay, I mean, any age, right, but he's only 20, got his whole life, he hasn't even begun to live, he's not even half of 50 right now, so he hasn't even begun to really live life, and so for really the country, okay, because this was reported by every outlet, not just the sports outlet, outlets. It was reported by the news outlets. And it seemed like it's one of those moments really that I mean it's not it's not necessarily a moment that you a moment that you'll never forget, but it's a time that you'll never forget. Like you'll never forget the name Damar Hamlin and how the country, the world for that matter, really came together. I mean people I know that don't even no sports, don't even like sports. We're talking about this. And it, it is just one of those moments where everybody came together. Everybody uh was so concerned about this young man and, and and really praying for him. And and prayer works. I mean, it's there's no doubt about that. You can see that prayer works because as of Tuesday, things were very, very grim. It's one thing when and, and, and even as of Thursday, he was still in critical condition. It's like it's one thing when they say, OK, you're in critical condition. But it's another thing when it's, uh, you know, when you've had to have when you've been, been in cardiac arrest and it's been CPR and all of these things. So, I mean, it, it's it, listen, it is uh, it's been great news. We'll continue to monitor, uh, continue to see improvement. Uh, with respect to Damar Hamlin and what a wonderful young man I mean I didn't even I didn't know much about him um, to be honest with you but all of the great works that he's done throughout the course of his young career um, the the great things that he's done in the community uh, it's just it's just absolutely phenomenal and it's it's you know people just to be able to rally around and uh, rally around him and and pray for him. I think is was a really, really beautiful thing to see that uh, America, really as a whole, to kind of come together and rally around Demar Hamlin. Definitely a beautiful thing. So we can talk some more Demar Hamlin here uh, on the program. We can talk some college football playoff on Monday. The national championship game has been set between Georgia and TCU. And I had a chance. I didn't really. The, that Michigan and TCU game I didn't really have a chance to watch that game I had another game that I had to call a college basketball game um that I had to call so I didn't really have a chance to watch that game but I had a chance to really listen to that game and I thought that any at any given moment you well <laughs> it was a range of emotions in this game because TCU would score and then Michigan threw an interception and then TCU scored again and it was, and then, you know, TCU was, I mean, Michigan was down by like three scores. And then all of a sudden the Wolverines were back to within five points. And it, when that happened, I'm like, okay, it's just a matter of time that Michigan is going to come back. At least I thought it was. But then I also, I was, as I continued to listen, I'm like, even though I didn't see the game, I'm like, this Michigan defense is porous because it was like every possession up until the point that Michigan came back to pull to within five TCU was scoring. TCU was scoring. TCU was scoring. And listen, I got to give a lot of credit to TCU because I came on um, right. I think it may have been. That's right. Right before the um, the Big 12 championship game. And I was like, you know, TCU is kind of hanging on by a thread i didn't think that tcu would make it into the seat the college football playoff and i believe if usc had won that that uh that pac-12 championship against utah tcu may not have made it into the playoff i think ohio state proved that it should have been in the playoff remember ohio state was the odd man out even before those championship games looking in but ohio state certainly uh certainly proved that it deserved to be in the playoff. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I even had someone uh, uh, kind of call me out on Twitter a little bit because I said, well, I didn't think TCU, I thought TCU was hanging on by a thread. They wouldn't get in. TCU did lose that uh, that Big 12 championship game, but in the end made it to the college football playoff and showed why it was a really, really good football team uh, being able to, to defeat Michigan. Okay, so second straight year, uh, Michigan goes out in the first round. We'll see what happens with Jim Harbaugh. I don't think the sky is falling. I think it's been a process for Jim Harbaugh, and now you're to the point where at least you're making the college football playoff. I know Michigan people don't want to hear that, but, I mean, listen, he, they, 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 they were at a point one year where, or at one time, not one year, but losing to Ohio State every year, uh, losing – Games, remember going back several years ago now to the loss against Michigan State on a what was it like a block punt uh, where Michigan was rolling that season. So they've had a lot of downs, but now on the right trajectory. Listen, that's a that's a good TCU football team. Give TCU a lot of credit in that football game, and TCU was able to come out with the victory. That Georgia and uh, and Ohio State game was good, and Georgia pulled it out in the end, able to come back. That was a really, really good football game. But again, I think Ohio State showed that it belonged in the college football playoff. And so uh, we've got the national championship game set between TCU and um, uh, Georgia, the defending champions uh, on Monday. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that maybe a little bit later on in the program. And of course, we'll talk about that on next week as well. We've got some guests lined up for you today here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Joining us on the program, West Virginia State head men's basketball coach Brian Poor, going to join us on the program. The Yellow Jackets, 12-1 on this season, ranked number 16 in Division II. And for Brian Poor, 400 wins, 400 wins, okay, at... West Virginia State, he got the 400th victory as the Yellow Jackets won the U.S. uh, Virgin Islands Classic Championship game, and winning the championship game meant the 400th victory for Brian Poore, so he's going to join us on the program. Listen here, I get it. ESPNU Radio here on Sirius XM. You tune in to hear about collegiate sports, but you know how we do things here on box to row we're going to give you a little bit of everything we're going to focus on college sports specifically hbcus but we're going to give you a little bit more as we like to do with box to row so joining us today on the program espn soccer host and reporter alexis nunez gonna join us on the program i think when you talk about the passing of pele i mean that that that's that's huge. I want to get her thoughts on that. Want to get her thoughts on the World Cup. Want to get her thoughts on the U.S. soccer program, specifically in the World Cup. And then she also, you know, she had a a, a, a really, a really big time special that she did where she brought a lot of uh, Afro Latino uh, uh, athletes together. And uh, as a matter of fact, herself being Afro-Latina and, and, being, a, and being on ESPN as a, as a soccer analyst, uh, reporter, and host is something you don't see all the time. So I'm interested to really talk uh, with her about her story and get some uh, some in-depth in soccer a little bit here on Box to Row, on ESPN, U-Radio, on Sirius XM. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the program as Box to Row rolls on. All the
0: way It's more of From the Press Box to Press Row With Donald Ware Right, 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 right Right here Right here On ESPNU Radio On Sirius XM Greece is cheap But the airfare costs a fortune Paris? Not much closer And again, airfare What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it Flying anywhere is just too expensive Wait, what's this? travel it's that easy so call now and start packing 800-303-3398 800-303-3398 800-303-3398 that's 800-303-3398 the old renaissance is the new renaissance standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip, the neighborhood original.
1: Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com.
0: Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Donald Ware. Donald Ware.
1: Let's keep things moving here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman in his 24th season as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State. The Yellow Jackets ranked number 16 in the country, coming off winning the U.S. Virgin Islands Classic Championship. And as a matter of fact, this gentleman got his 400th victory of his career. Next up for the Yellow Jackets, Saturday on the road at West Virginia Wesleyan. Brian Poor, the head men's basketball coach of the Yellow Jackets, joins us here on Box to Row. Uh, coach Poor, congratulations. Happy New Year to you and welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you, sir. It's always good to be on your show and
1: uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Absolutely. The 400th victory and, and appropriately, I might add, you get it in the championship game in the Virgin Islands. Now, when I called you to set up this, you know, to set up this uh, this conversation, uh, the first thing I asked you, how were the Virgin Islands? And you just, uh, you, you know, you, you, you looked like you were having a lot of fun in terms of the pictures that I, I saw and you, and you ended up winning it. So what did it mean to get that 400th victory in the championship game in that classic?
2: yeah you know absolutely i mean the only way you could draw it up any better is if you know the rest of my family could have, could be there um but i did have my wife and my kids there my sister and her family who are great supporters of ours and my brother and his family who also are uh weren't weren't uh, able to travel with us to that one but uh outside of that though to be in the virgin islands and and to win the championship which is you know what we went over there to do and uh, we played three straight days, and, and, and so to win it. And then uh, on top of that, it's your 400th win. Uh, it's like hitting a lottery. <laughs> and so uh, we we had a really, really good time.
1: Yeah, no question about it. And to come away with that uh, is great. I, I want to get your thoughts with the victory, that is. But I want to get your thoughts. 12-1 and one on the season, ranked number 16 in the country. Had a really, really good year uh, last year. Um, your thoughts on... Your team and the way you're playing to this point?
2: Uh, We've really come together nicely. And, um, you know, early on, we didn't have two of our top three players, Noah Jordan and Anthony Pittman. Uh, Neither one of them were playing the first four games. Uh, Noah had an injury, and and Pitt had an eligibility issue that he didn't get squared away until second semester. So, you know, not having those two guys in the first uh, four games and then Pitt in the first eight games you know i was thinking you know 6 and 2 in those first eight games would be good um we ended up being 8 and 0 and uh found a way to win just especially our first two games in our classic we just found a way to win and and you know going into it it, it made me really nervous and you know not having those two guys but now hindsight being 2020 i think it really helped us because it gave other players an opportunity to gain some valuable experience uh, and have to step up to the plate and, and, you know, kind of pick up their roles and even some of our young guys get in there and get in the fire early um, to get some good experience, and that's really developed our depth. And um, we, we're we in a situation now where we can play 10 or 11 guys and, and not have much of a drop-off, and, and so, you know, we're, we're really blessed to have that depth this year.
1: Can you compare – is there – can you make a comparison with respect to this team to some of the teams years past? I mean – Listen, we've been you and I've been talking. I mean, this show's been on the air what seventeen years. We've been talking for at least sixteen or fifteen of those years, and and I'm thinking about those days going back to the you know oh seven oh eight oh nine. Can can you compare this team with any of those teams?
2: Yeah, you know I think they're right there with them. Um, you know, they, this team's probably a little bit longer because um, I mean we're starting a six four point guard and six two at the two and six six at the three and six six and six five down inside. So, you know, we don't have the six eight, six nines and we don't have the bulky guys, but you know, when you've got a six four point guard and a six two and he's probably our strongest, best defender, uh two guard, um, you've got some good length and, and you can switch a lot of screens and, and guard multiple positions and uh so, you know, that gives this team a really good advantage. Uh, but I think this team compares right there with them. I mean, right now I think we're shooting as a team. We're shooting like 39% from three, um, which is really good. I don't think I've had a team shoot that high as a team. So um, this team, it's early. It's early still, uh, and this is the best start that I've ever had. I've never been 12 and one, and this team won the most games before their first loss. They were eight and zero. And I think the best I had started was like 4-0 in, in previous years or maybe 5-0. And, and, and so this team's off to the best start that I've ever had in 24 years.
1: 400 co- uh, collegiate career wins for Brian Poor in his 24th season as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State as he joins us here. On Box to Row, your nemesis, you you mentioned the, the one loss you've had all year was to <laughs> West Liberty. But now, I mean, because they've got a really, really good program that have had for many, many, many years. However, when it counted the most last year, you were able to get them in that regional. Uh, just let me take you back to last year a little bit and what that victory meant for your program and to finally get over the hump a little bit against West Liberty.
2: Yeah, you know, you, you've you got that, um, whatever you want to call it, that stigma and that, that mental block and all that. We had them beat at our place and got a rebound and was trying to get the outlet pass, and they end up deflecting it and getting a steal and getting a bucket and end up beating us. If we get that outlet pass out, I think we win at home. Uh, they got us pretty good at their place uh, last year during the season. But, you know, to, to, to get them on a neutral court in the game that counted uh, in that NCAA tournament and, and to play the way we did, you know, I felt like it gave our program, you know, some credibility, number one, but also some confidence and, and you know, we played him at third place and that was Anthony Pittman's first game out of the box. Uh he had like seven turnovers in that game and we only lost by two and they had to score with I don't know, it was about nine, ten seconds left, maybe even below that, um, to beat us and, and so we were right there with them on their court. Um so you know, that that's Uh, That win last year, though, I felt like gave us the confidence and, and, um, you know, the mentality that, hey, you know, we can beat these guys. And so I think it's carried over this year, and uh, we'll see him again at our place here later on down the year.
1: Yeah, Anthony Pittman is really, uh, really good, has been for you for quite uh, quite some time now. Let's talk a little personnel. We can talk about Pittman, but some other guys as well. Who's really playing well for you at the moment?
2: Ah, shoes. Everybody, right? You're on the offensive. yeah, yeah. It's I, I I've told him a couple times in the hoes. I mean, you know, it's it's and I, you know, have put on our on my social media. I mean, I, I'm I'm really just blessed to be called their coach. And I told him in the hoes, hey man, just keep doing what you're doing because you're fun to watch. You know, just just keep doing what you're doing. But you know, defensively, I think um, Tavon Horton, who's a grad transfer that came to us, he played his first year at WU. Uh, as a preferred walk-on, then he went to a JUCO, and then he went to an uh, NAI school called Pikeville and graduated from there. So he's only got one year left, but he's yeah, from all those stops. He's got a lot of experience. Um, he's a tough kid, uh, older kid, uh, understands you know what's going on. He's not one of these freshmen who you know wants 15 shots and play every minute and all that. He wants to go out and guard the other guy's best player. And so I think on the defensive side, his mentality and his toughness, his defensive presence has really, really helped us tremendously. Uh, Offensively, uh, now, and he's shooting like 48% from three, too. So it's not like he's just a defensive guy. Uh, He's shooting the ball really well, too. Uh, But another guy that has really stepped up offensively and helped us tremendously is a a junior college kid that uh, we got. He was playing JUCO in Texas, but he's from Philly. A guy by the name of Samir Kinsler. Um, you know, first semester when we were didn't have all of our guys and Pitt wasn't eligible and, um, Samir was starting for us and was named player of the week in the conference, um, one week. And then when Pittman gets eligible, I decide that, you know, I want to start with our best defensive lineman. So I'm leaving Tavon Horton in the lineup and Samir took it like a champ. He said, absolutely, coach, I understand. He was our leading scorer and was MEC player of the week the second week out of the gate. And now I'm putting him on the bench and bringing him off the bench, and he was totally fine with it. Uh, he is still leading us in scoring. Um, is shooting the ball extremely well from the outside. Uh, can get these really quick too, and can get by his guy. and Can get to the free throw line. So offensively, he's a guy that has really you know kind of surprised me a little bit and stepped up and is is playing really good.
1: Brian Poor, the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State, joins us here on the program. How? It, with the change in landscape, again, you've been doing this 24 years, and and really the the landscape in terms of not just basketball but college athletics uh, has really changed. In terms of the transfer portal, I mean, how? W- w- what are your thoughts? I mean, um, how, how obviously it can work for you, it may be able to, you know, it could work against you as well. But just kind of speak to that. Your thoughts on the transfer portal and 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 just the the change. Uh, in I guess specifically here in basketball, and now your're fourth season at West Virginia state
2: yeah it it is a uh, you know a, a different animal uh to, to to say the least and um so you know you've really got to you know people ask me all the time, well, what are you looking for? Well I'm looking for everything because you don't know at the end of the year what is going to happen and and so you really got to keep your eyes open, you know, I know for sure. Savon Horton, who's a grad transfer, only has one-year eligibility. Now, everybody else is supposed to be back. And, you know, I, I hope that they all do come back, and I think they will. But if they don't, you've got to be prepared to fill whatever slot might open up. And and so your recruiting has to be, I think, a little bit more broad. Um, and you've got to keep all options open um, because you don't know at the end of the year. And then the other thing is, is you know, you've got to continually uh, recruit your own players. Um, to try to you know make sure that they 're happy and that you know that that everything is good with them and and they 're satisfied with their role and and all those kinds of things so you've you 've got to continue to recruit your own players as well so it it definitely is a different animal uh but you know you you you've got to just kind of adapt and adjust and and so I think the transfer portal has helped us um you know like we got tavon horton who 's a grad transfer uh coming in here so um you know, it is what it is at this point. And so uh, you can whine about it and complain about it all you want to, but this is what we're dealing with now. So you have to learn to adapt and adjust.
1: You know, speaking of adapting, man, I think it's, I think that's an interesting point that you make because I mean, there were some lean years for you coach poor after a lot of success. And maybe you had to adapt a little bit and, Uh, you were able to kind of come back and now you're on this trajectory uh, of of where you're, you know, your top 25 team uh, in the country. So kind of speak to that and how you've been able to sort of get the program back on track, if you will.
2: I'll be honest with you. You know, it it, it was really a a couple of things. One, we had some years there where we just had um, multiple injuries at the same positions. Um, you know, I would lose, you know, two and three point guards in, in the same year, or, or, you know, two or three post players in the same year. And but and so and you can't control that. Um, but the other thing that I think I did a poor job of is I, I didn't recruit character enough and, and look at the character. You know, I, I was blessed. I got in there and uh, inherited a, a group of guys and tried to blend them with my guys and built a program and built a family and built a uh, a, a team bond and then we rode that for several years you know till 2010 11 uh, and even a couple of years after that and then you know I felt like I didn't do a good enough job of recruiting character and making sure that that kid was going to fit into our locker room and it was going to blend with what we have there and you know I felt like you know the, the team chemistry just happens um, and then you know the, as you said the lean years Proved to me that it doesn't just happen, and, and so here recently, you know, we've really, you know, kind of looked at the character of a kid uh, as much, if not more, than the talent of the kid, um, to make sure that he's going to blend in with the the, the 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 players that we've already got in the program. And I told our guys today at practice. I mean, we went to the Virgin Islands, and I, I we just had an absolute blast. I mean, we went out on a boat and did some snorkeling and. Uh, there was 40 people total on that boat. 21 of them was us, and by the time the boat ride was over, our players had everybody on that boat dancing and having a blast. And so we just got a really good, close-knit group of guys that have bought in right now, and um, they're just a joy to coach.
1: Two last tho- <clears throat> excuse me, two last thoughts, Coach Poor. We appreciate the time, your thoughts on West Virginia Wesleyan and the challenges that uh, WVWC presents as you go uh, to them on Saturday?
2: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things um, that I've been trying to to preach to our guys, because, you know, it's a a mentality that you've got to have. You know, we were the hunter, and we were trying to get to the top of the league, and and now we're there, and as you say, now we're nationally ranked, and and so now you're going to get everybody's best shot. And you know a lot of these teams in West Virginia Wesley right now is coaches in his second year and so he's young and trying to build his program and um, they're not off to a great start but he has they have nothing to lose you know if they lose this game oh well they were supposed to lose that game so they have nothing to lose they're going to come out and it's going to be their their championship game uh, you know if they can knock off a West Virginia State or a West Liberty uh, that's like winning the championship for them and and, and they have nothing to lose so we've got to you know. Uh, understand and have the mentality that we've got to bring our best every game because we're going to get our opponent's best every game. And so today, I, you know, I gave them off yesterday after, you know, the travel day before that was exhausting and a very long get back from the Virgin Islands. So we were off yesterday and today I said, hey, you know, we had a great weekend. We won the championship. That's what we set out to do. And you had a day off to rest and relax and that's all history now. Now you've got to put everything forward. Uh, and start thinking about West Virginia Wesleyan because you can't stub your toe in a game like this.
1: Last thought, and I think what's interesting is you <clears throat> became the head coach uh, at your alma mater uh, maybe a little bit more than ten years after you uh, after you graduated. So what does that mean? I mean, it's twenty four seasons. That's a that's a good amount of time. But what does it mean to be having this success and to have had this success four hundred wins as a collegiate coach? uh, at, uh, your alma mater.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've been blessed, man. I I tell you what, from, from the administrations and and the the ADs that I've had, Bryce Castro was the AD when I got hired. Um, and, uh, Dr. Carter, Hazel Carter was the president at the time. Um, and then after that, a guy by the name of Bob Parker took over as the athletic director and, and then Sean Lloyd and, and now we have um Nate Burton and our president Eric Cage. Um, you know, the 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 support that I get from the, our administration and have got has just been tremendous. And, you know, I, I in our great years there when we were really running, we had a you know, I had a few inquiries about, you know, moving on and maybe go to a lower division one, but I was so happy here that and my family was from here and, and my wife's family was from here and I we had a young family. I, I just you know, I didn't really entertain that. I wanted to stay here. I wanted to, you know, you see coaches jump around all the time. And uh, I wanted to have this ability and, uh, you know, be able to, to, to really put your mark on a program for an extended period of time. It's one thing to go in and win it. And we did that. And like you say, then we had some lean years. And now I'm really hungry to go back and win it again and get back to the top. And, and so that's what we're striving for. I've been preaching to our guys this year all year. It's the next step the next step we've been in the NCAA tournament uh, six times and, and we're five and one in the first round we've only been beat once in the first round but we're oh and five in the second round and you know even last year we were up 15 in the second half against Cal PA but we ended up losing it so I've been preaching to our guys next step next step we've got to take the next step with this program and and advance past the second round in the NCAA it's win an MEC uh, conference title And another thing that I got to throw out there because I'm really proud of this this fall semester, uh, our team and I really challenged our guys. uh, We've never had a 3.0 GPA or higher as a team this year. We had a Mm. 3.1. So this team has been really special, and it's uh, it's been a a, a great group to coach. Uh, I love West Virginia State. I love the history. I love the HBCU atmosphere. I love the legacy of Earl Lloyd. It's so easy to sell. Uh, our arena and our facilities are top-notch. Um, so I really, you know, I, I I can't see myself coaching anywhere else but the black and gold.
1: Mm. Brian Poor again, 24 seasons as the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State. He's got 400 collegiate victories on Saturday. The Yellow Jackets going to be at West Virginia Wesleyan College. And 12-1 uh, and one on the season, ranked 16th in the country. Coach Poor always enjoy talking with you. Thank you for being so candid. Continued success to you and the Yellow Jackets.
2: Absolutely. Thanks to me, and I always enjoy being on your show.
1: Believe me, Coach Poor, the pleasure is mine. We enjoy having you. And like I said to Brian Poor, of course, joining us, the head men's basketball coach at West Virginia State, I mean <laughs> – He's been coming on this show probably since like 2017, or excuse me, 2007. Uh, So it's been a long time, and we had him on last year, um, and um, so it's always great to have him on. And maybe this is the year that West Virginia State can make that run. Last year, right on the verge, again, that win against West Liberty in the first round of the regionals was huge. And uh, as he mentioned, 15-point lead in the next game, an opportunity to go to the Sweet 16. I couldn't quite get it done, but perhaps this is the year for the Yellow Jackets. Up next here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, as I mentioned, we're switching gears. We're going to talk some soccer, the passing, of course, of Pele, the recent World Cup, and the U.S.'s performance in the World Cup. Alexis Nunez. ESPN host and reporter, soccer host and reporter, that is, and the co host of ESPN FC joins us.
0: do not wear, wear on ESPN Radio, right here on XM. What up, what up?
3: Yo, 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 yo,
1: let's continue here on the program we're joined by a young lady as a matter of fact you've seen her more recently especially with the world cup and alexis nunez soccer host uh, and reporter on espn she's the co-host of espn fc doing some really big things as she joins us here on the program happy new year to you alexis
3: Happy New Year. I keep forgetting that we're um, into January already. It's a whole new year. I was still writing 2022, but bring it on. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you. How, how was Christmas? How was the holidays?
3: Honestly, uh, Christmas was, I mean, I spent it away from home. For those that don't know, I'm from Jamaica, so but I do live in London um, for work, naturally. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go home for a warm Christmas. I literally landed from Qatar. Um, covering the World Cup three days before Christmas and then I had to do two uh, Carabao Cup which is a league cup over here um, matches and then I came back literally just in time for Christmas Eve and Christmas and I spent it at home in my house with one of my best friends who's from Canada um, we just had a little cozy um, Christmas with my dog we cooked and, and that was it No, no big thing this time of year I was literally just looking forward to some rest after you know six weeks in Doha
1: I'm telling you, you, I mean, you've got a super busy schedule. Now, now see on your Instagram page, it also mentions food. So you're, you're a foodie, right? So what, what, what did you cook for Christmas? What was for Christmas dinner?
3: I am a mad foodie. I love to cook. You know, my father taught me how to cook. He loved to cook as well. You know, you have to cook with love. And, um, so this time around, obviously like here in the UK, a lot of people eat, I think maybe similarly to some parts of the U S probably eat a lot of turkey, Um, roast potatoes and stuff but then in jamaica we have a completely different spread Um, so i made like stew chicken jamaican brown stew chicken we for christmas for us in jamaica we tend everybody knows that jamaicans eat rice and peas but for christmas and special occasions we bring out rice and gungo peas which is kind of it's similar i would say to pigeon peas um and you know you cook that down with the coconut milk and all of the seasonings and whatnot and when i came when i came back uh, from Qatar to London, I was like, I just feel for a taste of home. Like, it's not Christmas if I don't have rice and gunga peas and I don't have some sort of, like, Jamaican-style chicken. So I made the rice and gunga peas, um, and I made uh, the brown stew chicken as well. We are, my friend from Canada made a salad and, and some other nice bits. So we had a little Jamaican-Canadian Christmas in London. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you had the whole everything going on uh, yeah. right there. <laughs> Alexis Nunez, soccer host and reporter on ESPN. You can check her out as one of the co-hosts of ESPN FCS. She joins us here on the program. So Argentina wins it. Lionel Messi. Like I'm not a, I'm not a big. I mean, I, I'll, I'll watch around the World Cup. You know, follow the U.S. throughout the course uh, of whatever season. Although it been some challenging times until this year, of course, where the U.S. sort of came back a little bit. But your thoughts on Argentina winning it, and Lionel Messi getting that World Cup, one of the greatest players to ever play.
3: Uh, it was it was written in the stars, honestly. I think it was um, the, I guess we could say, I mean, unless you're France, if you're a French fan or a Frenchman or a Frenchwoman, definitely cover your ears now. But I think it was the perfect <laughs> ending to a World Cup. I mean, I, I remember saying it before that you don't need to be a fan of football um or soccer or argentina or even leo messi to want to see him win a world cup because he's one of the greatest names to have ever played this sport you know whether you're a fan of the game or not you know who he is you have heard you know similarly for for me i i mean i lived four years in the u.s and i don't really know that much about nfl i didn't get to catch on to it but when i hear tom brady i expect him to to be in the super bowl every year you know and I. One of the greatest to ever play this game. They constantly mention his age. He's still out there. And you always want to see the greatest winning on the greatest stage. And this is the greatest show on earth, the World Cup. And it's the one thing that Leo Messi was missing. We mentioned him in the same breath as Pele, as Maradona. And the one thing that everyone said is like, yes, he's amazing, but... This is what he's missing. I mean, the man retired, came out of retirement to help his country win the Copa America. He has been the scapegoat and carried that team and his country on his back so many years. And and still, we were thinking that this is Messi that's going to retire without the greatest prize in the sport. And even though I still don't think... You know, it would have affected him that much. At the end of the day, he could have retired without the World Cup and we would still know that this is Leo Messi, one of the greatest to ever play the game, period. And in many people's eyes, the greatest. But the fact that he was able to do it and the fact that he played such a crucial role were it not for him and his contributions, especially in Argentina's earlier games where they were literally just looking to him for some messy magic and that's exactly what he did time and time again. He is more than deserving of it, and I think it just was the fairy tale ending that everybody, um, apart from France, probably was hoping for. But that's because France are the defending champions. We saw Kylian Mbappe as well, who is like the era parent to the Messi and Ronaldo era. He absolutely did everything. It's it still baffles me as to how amazing this young man is in terms of Mbappé. But look, he's already won a World Cup as a teenager, something that only Pele has done. Um, and I think he's got a couple, maybe two, three, maybe even four, who knows, more World Cups left in him. So I think this was Messi's time. It was written in the stars, and it was a fairy tale ending that um, so many of us wanted to see.
1: Very well said, and I think, you know, when you look at it from the US perspective. So, I mean, you go back some years. I mean, it, you know, it was, it, it, it just wasn't good for the US men. Of course, the women are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, But now, you know, they're in the World Cup and so forth. And even it was dicey in the very beginning. So I want to Mm -hmm. kind of get your thoughts on the way the U.S. performed as a whole in the World Cup.
3: You know, all I have to say is the sport is is in good hands. Like we keep hearing about the golden generation of the U.S. men's national team. And this is exactly what it is. And, you know, I know um, a couple of the players quite well, like Tyler Adams, who, oh, name me a better captain. Amazing, amazing. Just human being, you know, Yunus Musa as well. You have Christian Pulisic there too. Goalkeeper in Matt Turner. Um, I've spoken to a lot of them time and time again. This year, especially as I've been covering, um, you know, the the CONCACAF qualifiers that the U.S. were in, of course. Then they did a couple of friendlies before the World Cup itself. So I got to pick their brains on it. And I know they hate being called the golden generation. They feel it does invite n- unnecessary pressure. But I think they definitely should look at it as as a good thing. You know, unnecessary pressure, yes, it comes, which is why everyone needs to kind of slow their roll a bit, give them time. Remember, this was one of, if not the youngest team on average at the World Cup. You have Tyler Adams, who was the captain at 23 years old, leading your country in a World Cup. That is unbelievable, you know? And and he did it so well. And... I think that for the U.S., the expectations went in because of this gen- golden generation. I remember doing that match uh, that they eventually got knocked out and against the Netherlands, and I had to speak to some Dutch fans outside, and I asked them, what do they feel about this match today? Are they feeling good about the Netherlands? Because the Netherlands hadn't really impressed that much in their group stages, and they said they were actually nervous for the first time They were nervous whenever they hear this U.S. men's national team because uh, one of them told me, you know, in the past, I could probably name Landon Donovan, Tim Howard. He's like, now I I know the entire starting eleven, and I know which clubs they play in around Europe. I know exactly what they've won. They've got a Champions League winner in Christian Pulisic. This U.S. men's national team crop of players strikes fear in other teams now. You know, they're a force to be reckoned with. And I think that the bar was set so high. Do I feel like they coulda, woulda, shoulda made it at least one step further, maybe to the quarterfinals? Yes, of course. But then other teams like Brazil should have definitely probably made it to the final. You know, it was such a crazy, unpredictable World Cup. And I think with this U.S. national team, it's it's definitely in good hands. I think definitely give them time. Um, they are still finding their way you know there's questions as to whether greg barhalter is the right leader for them as well that of course um i suppose time will tell in terms of the style they want to play i compare it a lot to to what we see here in england it's like having you know a garage filled with ferraris maseratis bentley's and then choosing to to drive a minivan you know and that's the way that they play sometimes fans don't like how they play too cautiously because they've got pace they've got physicality they've got intelligence on the ball as well they're just missing a little bit in the final third in terms of a consistent goal scorer like a Leo Messi you know or like an Mbappe a man that you know once they touch the ball that ball's going in but other than that I think it's all positivity for this U.S. men's national team for sure just give them a bit more time and and they're definitely definitely already a force to be reckoned with in the world of football.
1: Talking some soccer with Alexis Nunez here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. We'll have more of our conversation on the other side.
0: Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio right here on Sirius XM.
1: We're back here on the program. We're talking with ESPN soccer host and reporter Alexis Nunez here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. You mentioned... Pele, and, and he passed away, of course, um, on last week. Uh, y- you mentioned Messi. I mean, I, whenever I thought about soccer kind of coming up and so forth, it was it was Pele. So y- your thoughts on, on his legacy?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do this. I have a career because everybody in Jamaica supports a second team. Because unfortunately, in Jamaica, we only made it to one World Cup. That was the World Cup in 98. And I was so young then that... Um, I remember it, but I couldn't really take it in now. But before that, everybody in Jamaica loves Brazil. You know, my dad used to sit me down to watch Brazil matches. He was like, watch this. This is real football. The Joga Bonito, you know. And, and for my generation, too, it was coming off of the likes of Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Cafu, et cetera. Legends, too. But for my dad, it was always, of course, Pele. You know, everybody, much like I said, Messi, you don't even have to be a fan of the game, but everybody in the world knows who Pele is he you know forever for me if I had to choose a goat he would be because the man won three world cups I don't know how we're going to see it again probably with Mbappe with what I just said you know he came very close to winning two right now but Pele for me is definitely the goat. what he did not just his natural skill but what he did just for the game you know he was one of the first to to, to go over and be a pioneer and play football in the United States as well to to bring those eyes there and he had just such a presence um, and true love for the game that I don't know you know, when we probably will see again. But for me, Pele is what made uh, me definitely fall in love with football and I think he's someone that supersedes and surpasses all generations. It doesn't matter what age you are, you definitely know Pele, you know what he did and you know what he means uh, to the game.
1: Yeah, probably the first GOAT when you're talking about sports, Yeah, you know, really of all time. Uh, Alexis Nunez joining us on the program. A couple of more thoughts. We really do appreciate the time um, hosting Somos Afro Latinos. So mm-hmm. tell us about that and why that was important to you. It was a big deal in why it was important to you.
3: Yeah, actually it was, um, it was one of our, it was probably one of my most favorite pieces of work or I think that we're most proud of definitely at ESPN. I don't know if you can see right there, but we actually won an award uh for it. Oh, um very good. award for it. Yeah. It was honestly an amazing thing, an amazing idea too, because I think it just truly for example, growing up in Jamaica, I've never ever our motto is out of many one people. We understand that um, you know, we're 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 so heavily mixed of different cultures because of our history. And it was literally only when I moved to the US, when I got the job at ESPN that I felt the need to explain to people what I am, you know, because someone say, oh, but you don't really look Jamaican. And I said, well, Jamaican is a nationality. It's not a race, you know, and and we're mixed. And I would turn to them and I say, what does an American look like? Or what should an American look like? And then they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Exactly, <laughs> because what, what is one? And I find, I am, of course, Jamaican. My mother's family is from El Salvador. So I'm like Latin, which is Afro-Latina too, because then people, when they think Latin, they think J-Lo, you know, only. They don't forget the the massive Afro community that is there. I mean, like I said, look at the World Cup. Look at Ecuador. they are 90%, you know, black players there. Colombia as well has has quite a few. Majority of them do, especially in Central America. <clears throat> and many people didn't know of the phrase afro latino and so many of them you know look at um you know now celebrities like cardi b and then they go well is she black or is she latina and you could literally be both and that is so much of the u.s to be afro latina and i remember we got to speak to so many athletes from baseball players to track and field athletes to surfers from All different parts of Latin America as well straight from who are living in the US down to South America like Venezuela as well as Uruguay and Peru and people were like wow I didn't even know that Uruguay had black people or I didn't know that Peru had black people and they themselves said I didn't know what to identify as until now as an adult and I've heard the phrase Afro-Latina and now I confidently say that I confidently and when you say that, you know, it, it finally gives us, or people like me who are mixed with both Black as well as Latin, it gives us the identity I feel like so many people have wanted, you know? And and like I said, everyone wants to just feel like they belong. And it is such a horrendous question I feel when people go, what are you? Because it makes you feel like you already just are not meant to be there, you know? And now when you say Afro-Latina or Afro-Latino, it's you start to see them go oh okay all right yeah that 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 works i understand that you know and then they start to see the beautiful mix that is all around the us as well as the rest of the world too so we got to do that we got to hear their stories Some more horrendous stories as you can imagine their constant battles with racism and and you know trying to prove that they do belong here at this highest level in sports despite Um, being Afro-Latina in the countries that maybe don't have a high population of of Afro people. And it was just unreal to hear, you know, what they've achieved Um, since then, all the awards. You know, you had World Series winners there that we got to speak to because, of course, we know that baseball in the U.S. is so heavily dominated by Puerto Ricans or Dominicans as well, a lot of from Venezuela too. Um, And it was just... We just wanted to have a roundtable, And it was amazing to know that here we are from different parts of the world, um, but we all seem to have been struggling with and going through the same experiences. And now um, that we had this, that we had this platform to talk about it. So it was actually, um, it was a beautiful thing to be a part of.
1: Absolutely. Very well said. A woman of many talents, Alexis Nunez, again, co-host of ESPN FC. You can. Check her out on ESPN, not only soccer, but cricket as well. Follow her on social media as she joins us here on the program. Alexis, really appreciate the time. Thank you for doing this continued success in all you do.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So we simulcast this, if you will, in terms of from a video uh, perspective, as you were listening uh, via your uh, Sirius XM receiver as well so this conversation will be up on the box to row youtube page the conversation with Alexis Nunez up on the box to row youtube page on next week my time is about up I thank you for yours thank you to Alexis Nunez to Brian Poor for joining us today on the program speaking about the box to row youtube page you can check out the conversation with Lions general manager Brad Holmes again on the box to row youtube page and always remember to support those that support your box to row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by Time D- for, D- for this
0: D- show to drop the lid. That'll do it for this week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Join us again next week for an in-depth look at historically black college athletics and the biggest news stories of the day.